0: Welcome to Creative Aperture, the podcast focused on what it means to be a creative. Today, I got the chance to sit down with Patrick Tommaso. He's an uber-talented filmmaker, photographer, and podcaster based in Toronto, Canada. I got him on to talk about freelance. We talked about his journey getting into freelance from the typical nine to five, his thoughts on freelance overall, his advice for those wanting to jump into the world of freelance and much, much more. By the way, we were using FaceTime, which kept dropping the call. So our interactions and laughs were always a bit delayed or too early, which kind of makes it funny. And as a heads up, this episode contains occasional uses of strong language, listener discretion, advice, blah, blah, blah. Let's get into the chat.
1: I'm going to give you one big loud beep so you have it, okay? All right. Beep! (laughs) They should make... I guess this is kind of already that. I was going to say they should make headphones with headphones within the headphones because I have AirPods on and then I have my headphones on top of the AirPods. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. AirPodception. Oh,
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast. It's been a long time coming. It's mainly been on me, just not having the energy or the motivation, but finally doing it so i'm pumped about that
1: absolutely my pleasure
0: right now i'm recording on both uh adobe audition with my atr 2100 like podcasting microphone and then i've got the uh s mic 2 going into the pocket 4k recording literally nothing like cap is on (laughs) and uh it's like 1080p qt as low res as possible just to get the audio that's um, so funny so far it's working so. Have, you to-
1: have you told your audience that you're recording this on PC, though, yet? Like, do they know that's happening?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, see, see that whole thing is basically because I'm forced to in that uh, my MacBook Pro is in for repairs for the third time for the keyboard for the third time. And um, I just, I think this morning got the notification that it they finished the diagnostics and the repairs and it's on its way back. So hopefully it gets here soon. But yeah, it's killing me right now. I'm recording on Windows and I'm hoping it doesn't just crash on me. Um, but so far, so good. So we'll see.
1: <laughs> Do you think you can like delay or get as many repairs that maybe it'll lead to the point where the 16 inch comes out that they're talking about? And then you can just make a huge fuss and be like, I drive two hours to the store every single time. So you just finally give me the new laptop.
0: Yeah, I don't know. because like, <laughs> So this time I was in there and I'm like, I've been down here three times. Th- you know, for three times, it's three hour, two hour, three hour drive, and it's just killing me. You know, I rely on this for work, blah 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 blah. And they're like, yeah, well, we have like, and they- she like walked me through the policies of like the reason, like at what point can they actually just replace the computer? At what yeah. point would they ever give you a refund? Which you know is definitely like a big no, um, unless you like freaked out. But I'm not that kind of person, so I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it'd be nice. Um, because it was interesting because both the keyboard was having issues, but also the uh, front left USB-C port wasn't accepting power oh like God. a couple of weeks ago. But then the day before I went in, it was accepting power. So I was like, that's not good if it's like kind of flaking in and out. Yeah. So I told them about that, told them about like, the, I think maybe the battery is swelling. I'm not sure because like whenever it gets hot and I pick it up, like I can feel the bottom of the like chassis kind of like touch the motherboard or whatever. Oh my God. Which is... Which ain't great. So, um, yeah, it's a whole slew of problems. I wish I didn't have to have a laptop. Honestly, sometimes I wish I just had an iMac and just rocked with the uh, iPad Pro because now I have that. But, um, you know, at this point, it's kind of too late to like try to swap it out or anything. So maybe maybe the next time.
1: Go ahead. Say what? No, I was going to say, needless to say, this podcast isn't sponsored by Apple. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's been um, it's been a wild ride. But uh, anyway, what I wanted to talk to you about today in this episode was to kind of go over like just the world of freelance and yeah, what absolutely. that's like, what your experience is with it, um, things like that. Yeah. But uh, how about you tell us what your kind of backstory is, how you got into filmmaking, but then also freelance filmmaking?
1: Yeah, so I am a freelance content creator. I also have a podcast. Um, I have a YouTube channel that I don't spend enough time on <laughs> clearly uh <laughs> something I'm trying to do a little bit more. I'm an advertising school dropout uh so I went to school here in Toronto for advertising and I liked it. I got an internship out of my first year and realized I wasn't really learning anything in school mm-hmm. and so I dropped out and you know you're starting college when when do you start in like two weeks so and what and uh, what pro- sorry i don't want I don't mean to turn this back into an interview back to you, but I think it's good context what what are, what are you taking?
0: So I'm going in for film and television and then hopefully focusing in on the actual like production side of things, which is like something you can
1: apply for on your junior year. Yeah. So what I found was, and I think you might find this too, is like sometimes the programs can be a little bit behind from real life, if that makes sense. Totally. Totally. And yeah. so what I found was in my first year, it was like I was learning a lot of good, like how to just network and how to meet people and all that kind of stuff. But I wasn't learning the hands-on stuff that was happening in the industry. It felt like the program was like three years behind of where the world was, right? And what mm-hmm. happened was when I got my internship after first year, and don't get me wrong, I absolutely love school. And I'm someone who, who came from a background of absolutely hating school. Like, I had terrible oh. grades in high school. I was awful just all through elementary and whatnot. So it was really weird for me to even love school in the first place. But what right. happened was I did this year in advertising, like, holy shit, this is what I wanna be doing. You know, like even before this, I've always wanted to do stuff with cameras and whatnot. And it just felt like this was the perfect way for me to make money using a camera. I was like, oh, I should do commercials, right? Yeah. And so I got into the program and I got super hyped on it. I became a huge keener and I was like so good at like straight A student and everything, just crushing it. And this is the early days of social media too. I'm actually, actually have my LinkedIn open right now just so I can see the timeline. So this is around <laughs> this is around 2011. Okay. So this okay. is way back in the day. I mean, seven, seven, eight years ago, six, seven years ago. Right. And so right. basically, I was in the advent of social media. Like Instagram wasn't even really a thing yet. Brands weren't even using Facebook. Like pages had just started and whatnot. And I just kind of dove into that yep. side of it. And the program on the other hand was like, let's do print ads and let's do radio ads. And I was like, oh my God, like the theory of this is cool for me. You know, like how to make an ad hasn't really changed. You know what I mean? Like the core of how to make great ads. Like you can go back to Apple and watch the 1984 commercial. Right. And be like, this is a great commercial and it works now, but that would just be a YouTube video today. Right. But the the thing was the program wasn't realizing that. And so we were doing like layouts for print ads and we were doing all this traditional stuff. And I was just sort of like, as the first year kind of went by and it was a two year program in the back of my mind, I was like, Oh, I'm a little worried, like going into the industry after this of like, am I learning the right things or is the industry going to go so far ahead that I'm going to come out behind? So yeah, in that first year, because I was doing so well, the program had like really liked me and again, I was kissing ass and all this kind of stuff. and I was doing really well. (laughs) An internship landed in Toronto working on NHL Uh, Cadbury chocolates, um, dentine gum, and all this kind of stuff, sorry, stride gum. And it was like, Hey, you know, these guys are all about social media. You're the only one in the program that seems to really understand this stuff. Do you, and so when when this agency went to the program, like, do you have any interns that might want to come work with us? The program coordinator came to me. is like, do you want to go do a summer internship at this, at this agency? Right. And so the agency was called Cassette, and Cassette's a pretty global agency. And so I went there for a four month summer internship. And I found that in that four months of that summer, I learned more in, that in t- than that entire year of school. And it was like, wow. because it was such a small agency, I think there was like six or seven of us and I was the only intern. It was like, I was doing absolutely everything. I was like managing like $10,000, $15,000 NHL ad buys, which now I'm sure they're in the millions, but back then that was a hell of a lot right. of money to spend on Facebook and social media because it was so early and so new, right? And I remember like Boston had just won the cup and, and because it was the summer, we were just kind of pushing the tour of the Stanley Cup for that summer for Boston, right? And I remember like literally Mm -hmm. sitting there at like 11 at night, just flighting ads, like just posting ads with like a $15,000 budget. And I'm like, I want to say like 21, (laughs) 22 at the time. And I'm thinking like, this is absolutely everything I've always wanted to do. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And I was like, Holy shit. Like I just started and it's already, this is everything I wanted. And like, what the hell's going on? So four months like flew by, I did a crazy amount of work and fun stuff made really, really great friends. Um, Fast forward, these friends are even people that ended up being huge parts of my career later on. But what happened was when that four months ended, I had to go back to school, right? Because I didn't have my diploma. And again, like no other post-secondary and also not a school person. So I was like, holy shit, I should probably finish this program. Even though the agency was like, hey, you're so good. We want you to stay. We'll give you a job right now. I said, you know what? Mm -hmm. I think I should get post-secondary. I think I should finish the program. Like my, my internal thought process was like, I should finish this. So I went back yeah. and, and basically told them like, you know, we were using, we were doing Mr. Big, like the chocolate bar. We, we had a Facebook page and I was doing the community management for it. So I said, listen, I'm going to go back to school because I really want to get my diploma, but I can work mm-hmm. remotely because a lot of this stuff is all online anyways. Like, so like, let me just run the yeah. Mr. Big Facebook page, but I'm going to do it remotely. So I'm going to go back to school and run the Facebook page and I can be on email and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so I go yeah. back and it's like two or three weeks back into the second year of school. And I'm just like, holy shit, why am I miserable? <laughs> Right. And I started to like it it was weird. I started while I was in the in the internship, I was reflecting about how much I thought school was wrong. Right. And then when I got back Mm -hmm. to school, I started reflecting about how I was actually unhappy even in the internship. So what happened was, yeah, it was weird. So when I came back to school, I realized I was doing all this stuff that wasn't creative, if that makes sense. Right. So I was yeah, posting yeah. on Facebook and I was posting all on Twitter. And, and at the time, you fucking Google Plus of all of all God awful things <laughs> <laughs> um, like. And, but I was posting stuff that like an art director and a copywriter would come up with. Right. So these creative teams would feed me the content. And I was just the person that sort of did the analytics and posted it. So I became like. You know in, in if you use mad men as a reference like there's the account guys and then don draper's like the creative guy right so like pete campbell right. is the account guy and then don draper who's the creative director he does all the cool stuff i was too much yeah. of a pete campbell and i wanted to be the don draper right yeah and yeah. so when i came back to school they were like really pushing me to thread to the business side so the program had two streams you got to be creative which was like art director copywriter but the stuff was just so traditional it was like again radio print and stuff or you went down the account route, which was just someone who was basically like organizing the stuff between the creative teams and the clients. And both of those things to me, I was just like, I don't really want to be a copywriter or an art director. I don't really want to be an account guy. Like the role that I wanted just didn't exist. And it was because it was too early. Like I, I felt like that year or so, I was just like a year too early for the world to really realize what was going on. And so the, of all mm-hmm. the craziest things I've ever done in my life, besides going freelance, which comes later, I said no mm-hmm. to school. And I also said no to the job. So I dropped out of school and I said, and I told, I remember sending like an all staff email to like all staff, to all seven people, which isn't that much, but I remember sending an all staff email to everybody, like literally in class being like, Hey guys, don't think this is for me. I need to take some time off. Just kind of figure out my priorities, appreciate the year, the summer and everything. Um, let's keep in touch basically. And just kind of dropped the bomb and said, here's the, yeah, the logins and everything for the post, the page and whatnot, just be free. And I just kind of dropped that bomb. And then I scheduled a meeting with my program coordinator I was like, look, man, I don't think this is right for me. I need some time to figure out what I want to do. While all this was happening, I was still working at an Apple store. So that was kind of paying the bills. So I wasn't really too worried about money so much. Um, And it was a really, really easy job too. And I was making my way up even at the Apple store. So I started doing like the videos for new launches um, for new employees and whatnot. Like Apple has a lot, like a whole internal video team that the outside world doesn't really see. And so I was working Mm -hmm. on that specifically for our store. So anytime like, you know, when the iPad 2 or whatever came out back then, I would do like the launch video of our store and then that would get like circulated amongst all the stores in like Canada or North America and whatnot. Right. And we had all this like Mm -hmm. I was working on internal marketing, basically materials within the Apple store, as well as also like fixing phones and all that kind of crap. Right. So in my head, I was like, let me just kind of do this for a year because Apple's treating me really, really well. I can go full time there and kind of figure out like this. Maybe there's a video side of me that wants to tap into that. Maybe I want to do photography. I don't know. But I felt like school wasn't helping me. And then advertising wasn't what I thought it was, at least at that point in time. So I'm working at the Apple store. I'm having a good time. And then you get to this point within Apple. And I talked to a lot of people that have worked at Apple stores. Like we all kind of hit this moment where you're just like, hey, maybe we're not changing the world. And maybe we're just selling computers <laughs> yeah. because they really make you drink Kool-Aid. Right. Like they, and I was one of the people that helped yeah. new employees drink Kool-Aid, too. Like I would do those hiring seminars and be like, you know, Steve Jobs is God and everything's, you know, one iPod touch could change from someone's life. And you're like, come on, you just that Kool-Aid wears off after a while. Yeah. And I'm like a year into the, I'm, this is probably my second year working at the Apple store, but I'm a year now out of working in advertising and also being in school. And I'm just getting restless mm. now where I'm like, holy shit. Like, did I make a huge mistake? Like, should I finish school? Should I have stayed at that? Like I had, I had everything that I thought I wanted and I just sort of gave it, I gave it all away. Right. And I remember I was going yeah. to Cuba on a, on a vacation. I had like a week long vacation book to go to Cuba and the weekend before I left, I got a Facebook message from one of my old bosses at that internship from like a year previous. And he goes, Hey man, haven't talked to you in a while. Hope you're doing well. He's like, I like the videos and stuff that you post. Like I was doing like just fun stuff, very similar to what I do now. Just like, you know, things you put up on Facebook and whatnot, just like videos of your family and your friends and whatnot. Right. He's like, you know, I really like what you're doing with social media. Like I still think you were like ahead of your time. You know how to do this stuff. It's really good. I'm at a new agency now called grip and I'd heard of Grip from when I was in school, like they did Honda, Acura, Taco Bell, KFC, just a lot of really, really big brands, Budweiser and whatnot, right? He's like, yo, yeah. I'm an account director now at Grip. He's like, I know you didn't have like the best time when you were at Cassette and everything. Would you consider ever coming back to advertising? And that was like the message. And, I'm, and I was sitting in the back of house at Apple, like I'm sitting on an iMac in the back of Apple, right? In the stock room, essentially, right? And I'm looking at this right. message. And I'm like, this is like the moment of the rest of my life. Like, that's kind of what it felt like to me. And it ultimately ended up being that. So right before I went to Cuba, I was like, listen, yeah, for sure. I'm going on a vacation next week. Like I leave on Tuesday or Wednesday or something like, do you want to chat? And he's like, I already set it up. You can meet with HR and the head of the social team. Do you want to meet on Monday? Right. I was like, holy shit, what the hell's going on? Right. So I go down yeah. to this agency. And again, it's been a year since I've worked in like an office or even done any advertising school stuff. But I, you know, I kept on the pulse of things. Like I, I, I knew what was happening in the world and whatnot. And so I sit down with the head of the social media team, like the digital team at the time and HR and basically have an interview kind of like what we're trying right now. Like it was just very off the cuff. I was telling them like where I think social media is going, you know, what I think is wrong and what brands are doing wrong, blah, blah, blah. And we probably talked for like an hour. And by the end of that conversation, the head of digital was like, I see no reason why I can't hire you right now. Would you be willing to start? I was like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) (laughs) So basically, I mean, rest is history. I took that job and started as what at the time was just a community manager. And I, and I prefaced as I started, I was like, look, like my whole thing is I don't wanna just do strategy and I don't just wanna do analytics. I really wanna be doing creative work too. And they kind of told me, yeah. it's like, the thing is like when you work in an agency, specifically like Grip, like Grip had been around since like the early 2000s. Like they were a traditional agency. They came from doing print, they came from doing television and whatnot, right? So they were, they were very honest and the guy that ran the team, like essentially my boss at the time, he told me, he's like, look, it's going to be an upward battle. Like we're, we're dealing with a lot of like old world thinking, but you are part of right. the shift that this whole agency needs to kind of take that, you know, we have to push more into digital and we have to push more into social. And so I started as a yeah. community manager, which is really not a role I would want to take. And I, I barely took any more money than I was making at Apple Too, I basically made a lateral move financially, mm-hmm. started commuting an hour into the city every single day because I was still living with my parents at the time. And it was like an hour there, an hour back. And I, from that moment forward, I started working basically fully in advertising. So I started out working on Budweiser and Michelob Ultra. So two Labatt brands. And pretty much what happened was I kind of took Budweiser and I took Michelob Ultra and I made them like prime examples within the agency of like how we should be doing social media properly. And then what ended up happening is like I became the kind of go-to person for like content creation, mainly, mostly for Facebook at the time, a little bit of Twitter here and there, that I started to work mm-hmm. on almost every brand that the agency had. So I went from Budweiser wow. to Michelob Ultra, and then they gave me KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut. Probably the, the most fun of my career was working on those three brands. But what's kind of funny is like the way I went about it is like, again, remember how I said that they were they were a traditional agency and they didn't really understand digital? I had to prove everything. So, like, if I was working on Budweiser, I would have to go buy a case of beer and do, like, a shoot with my iPhone, like, 4 at the time, right? Or, like, my my wow. T3i. Like, my own equipment, my own gear. And I would do, like, a content calendar. So, it would be, like, the month's worth of, like, August posts. I would do all my own on my own dime. I'd buy the beer out of pocket and everything. And then I would come in on, like, the Monday or Tuesday after the weekend after I'd shot everything. And I'd sit down with the creative team and I'd go, look... This is the content calendar. If you guys want to write the post copy, whatever, but let's just try this. Let's try what it's like to do like user generated style. It was right when people started taking pictures of their food and everything where like really stylized, polished, traditional looking work stuck out like a sore thumb on on the internet, right? Like you even see that now. It's like if a brand puts up like what looks like a print ad on Instagram as an ad, you're still like, what the hell are these guys doing, right? But if they're smart and they do it right and it feels more in situ, like if you just use moment as an example, like it feels like how we make content, right? Right. Moment isn't right. talking down to us. They're talking with us. They're making content that we would make the exact same way they would, right? And so totally. when I was working on Budweiser and all that stuff, I was doing it like the guys do with Budweiser. They go to the cottage for the weekend they just take selfies and crap with beer, right? They would just hold a bottle and take a picture of it. So I started doing the same thing. And so that it started becoming that the brand was speaking exactly like the audience and our post quality mm-hmm. and, and the metrics just skyrocketed. Right, it went from like nobody giving a shit about anything we were posting because we were posting all these stupid print ads all the time to being like one of the most mm. engaged brands that Labatt had. And so when I went wow. to start working on Taco Bell and KFC and Pizza Hut and then eventually Honda and Acura, I just take that took that same mentality. And as I started doing more, improving more, and like you know people were like, okay, you're young and you're whatever and you know what's going on, they started to give me more opportunities. So then I could buy gear, and then I became this weird hybrid of like a strategy guy because I would still have to do the analytics and everything for the pages, but I was doing all the content as well. Yeah, And what ended up happening is from my role going from community manager, they then called it a social content strategist. And the whole agency kind of reshifted this role into social content strategies. So we had a team and there was about seven people working on the team. Fast forward, I guess year two. So this all happened very, very fast. So year one, I'm community manager year two, I'm social content strategist. The team grows like six or seven people. We totally redid it. So it's me and like six or seven other people do that for a year. Again, mm-hmm. great success. All the brands are doing awesome. I start winning pitches with the agency, Year three, I'm then associate director of creative content. So now I'm overseeing all the social and digital that's kind of coming out of the agency. So like in a span Mm -hmm. of, from from working in an Apple store, being like, what the hell am I doing going to the mall every single day? Three years later, yeah. I'm an associate director of creative content, like working on some of the biggest brands globally. Like at that point, wow. I was even doing Stella Artois global. Like I wasn't even just doing Canada. I was going to Cannes, I was to the film festival. I went twice. I went to Wimbledon wow. and I'm running around like much like you and I just do now. Like I'm running around with like a phone and like a GoPro and like a, I guess like my 70D at the time. And I'm shooting for mm-hmm. Stella Artois on the red carpet at the Cannes Film Festival, <laughs> right? Dang. So it was this ridiculous like train ride of, again, like being like an intern to like dropping out to all of a sudden I'm at the Cannes Film Festival and like John Cusack's walking beside me and Kristen Stewart and shit. And I'm like, it was honestly, even like thinking about it now, it kind of feels like a bit of a dream. It was bizarre. And so I did that three years and I'm like, I guess I want to say I'm like 26 or so at this point, three years in. And then a crazy opportunity came into my lab. So one of the partners that was at that agency left to go to another. A theme for all of this is like network, like, a th- like make friends, you know, find people, talk to people and whatnot. Because without the right, knowing the right people at all of this, I don't think I would have had the right opportunities that I got, right? Like luck is, is opportunity meeting preparation. Yes, I had talent and I knew what I was doing. But the opportunity was the luck of the people that I also knew. So one of the partners left Grip, went and started uh, as, a, as a creative director at another agency under J. Walter Thompson, which is a huge uh, advertising company. And they were working on Walmart, um, Behringer Wine and stuff. And he's like, hey, you know, I want you to do it what you did at Grip at this new shop. Like it's a brand new, fresh start. You get a new team. You can do whatever you want. Buy whatever gear you want. Like start a production company. Whatever the hell you want to do, come do it. Right. And because I yeah. was young and I kind of saw that, like, I don't know if an opportunity like this will come around again. And I didn't want to, like you know, lightning only strikes once. So I was like, I already got like a crazy opportunity with what I'm doing here at grip. I feel like I need to at least take this role because I don't know if it'll happen if I stay here because, because I started so young at grip, even when I became an associate director of creative content, I was still fighting in meetings. I was still arguing about what we should be doing. There was still a lot of just traditional thinking that, you know, as a young kid kind of coming in through this, you know, Young in the sense of advertising, it was like hard for people to take me seriously sometimes, even though I had all this work to prove it and the agency had all this success. You know, I won person of the year at this agency, like even all of that, it was still like I was still fighting to be like, why don't we have our website on the at the end of the Honda ads? You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Like it was just stupid conversations where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I can't be fighting for the things that I know inherently are right. So I thought going somewhere new and building a team on my own, I was like, you know, maybe I can do this from scratch. And then I can like shed that persona of being the young kid that came in that was taking pictures with his iPhone. And so I took an associate creative director role at this agency. And I went in and I realized very early on that I didn't want to be like a manager of a team (laughs) because that's what a director does, right? In in a sense of an advertising role, right? So because I was an ACD, all of a sudden I was like hands off on the creative and more so managing a team of creatives, trying to like convince them to do the things that I just would rather just do myself. And then on top of that, there was all this admin work that I had to do. So it was like I have to approve vacation requests and do reviews and all this kind of stuff that I'm just like, whoa, yeah, the money's yeah, yeah. crazy. The money was like insane. I took like a, a crazy raise over what I was working at Grip, and now I'm like 26, making close to 100 grand a year as an ACD, and I'm the most miserable I've ever been in my entire career. <laughs> so. What? it's like all these kind of decisions made me like really push me towards the freelance thing. Right. It was like, I had to do all these different steps to get to where I am now. And even though if I'm talking about the stuff, like in a negative way, I have absolutely zero regret of it because it's made me who I am today in terms of being freelance. I had to do all these roles, whether they were good or not to get to the point of me being happy now. And if all of them, I think that the most formative was that last year of me as an ACD because that was like the pinnacle. I thought I was going to be 40, 45 by the time I was an associate creative director. Like that was the, the end goal of my career, right? Like you become, after yeah. that, you just essentially are either a creative director or a partner. It was like, that was the cream of the crop. You're at the top, right? And because right. I got there so young, I felt incredibly blessed to know that this isn't for me. And so yeah. a year into that, I did the year, they always say at least do a year somewhere just so it doesn't look like you're bouncing around too much. And a year went by, I did, I still did some really great work. I'm super proud of. I got to, you know, go to Napa, California and shoot a bunch of wine stuff. I got to go to New York and all this kind of fun things, shoot for Walmart and whatnot. So I still did fun work. I just wasn't happy. I wasn't like, I was a lot happier at my previous role because I was more hands-on. I was still just doing too much managing admin stuff. Then I wasn't getting my hands dirty. So while I was doing all of that, my five to nine was working on my own brand. So I was like posting a lot on it. I started to grow my Instagram account a lot more. It was right when Unsplash started to kick off for me, too. Um, So that year was a lot of, like, focusing on me. But at the same time, making money, like, making really good money, actually, and doing – still doing, like, you know, global advertising work, right? And what happened was finally, like I would say, like the five to nine becomes your nine to five. So whatever I was doing after work and over my lunch and whatnot, it started to get so busy and so many opportunities that I just said, I I, went, I remember going on Skype because we used Skype for whatever god awful reason at that agency. It was like <laughs> they hadn't they, apparently they hadn't heard of Slack, I guess. Um, I remember going on Slack and be like, listen, man, like I'm going to go out on my own. This is something I've been wanting to do for probably a long time. It's probably something I should. Should do. And I'm young now. I might as well make this stupid decision when I don't have a house or kids or a wife or anything. Let me do this yeah. while I'm stupid and young, because if it's wrong, I can just come back to this essentially. Yeah. And I remember he was super excited. He was like, everyone was like really excited for me. Um, and that was, I guess I ended in 2016. So it's been three years, six months now that I've been freelance. So it's a crazy story Thanks. and it feels like almost like shorter than it actually was. Cause it's actually not that long. Right. Like my career started seven years ago. That's essentially what, what it kind of comes down to. Um, but yeah. my most fulfilling work and the most rewarding work I've done so far has been as freelance because first off, not only because of all the connections I made while I worked in advertising, they've all become like lifelong clients for me now. It's just the work is under my own terms and I get to set the prices and I get to set what we're doing and I get to pick and choose as well. Whereas when you work in advertising, you work for an agency or even a production company, you're at the mercy of whatever clients they have. So oftentimes I was doing right. work for clients I couldn't even like wrap my head around of like, I don't even like this stuff. How am I gonna make other people <laughs> like it, right? And totally. you can do that and I was good at it and that's why I did so well. Like you have to just wear a bunch of different hats and different brains. That's the whole point of advertising. You don't have to like it yourself. You just have to make everyone else love it, right? But now at least right. I'm in a position where creatively I can like work on things that I really like that's not to say that I still don't do work where it's just not the most fulfilling, but it pays the bills. Like that's always going to be part of it, but I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. the diversity of what I work on now, everything from weddings to corporate videos, to commercial work to beer still and cars and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, I'm just in a, I can set my own schedule, which is also like one of the best things about it as well. But it's been, Yeah. yeah, it's been, yeah. Freelance is, is fun and it's, it's amazing. And I think a lot of people really just want to jump into it. Like, you know, we, we, we talk about this online before we see people talk about all the time that like the, the goal right now for everyone, it feels like is they all just want to work for themselves, which is great, which is amazing. But I know I couldn't do what I do now. If instead of when I was at the Apple store taking that job from that Facebook message, I just said, Oh, I'm going to quit Apple and I'm just going to start making videos. I would not be where I am today. Right. Right. It would, it would have taken me a lot longer if I would ever got there at all. I wouldn't have the connections that I have and I wouldn't have the experience either. Like something that I, that I was taught early on, it's like, learn on someone else's dime. So the idea of that is like, make mistakes while you're making money somewhere else. So that if things go wrong, it's not entirely on you. You know, you make a small little mistake here and there, and you're at an agency with 150 people, you guys are going to be okay. You're going to survive. Right. But if you're out on your own and it's just you and a client and you fuck something up bad, you might never work with that person again. There's no one there to kind of save you and, and, and help you and, and guide you and mentor you. Right. So you really I, in my opinion, I think you really do need that some sort of experience in some in some way of either working with things and, and doing something that you don't like just to find out that you don't like it just to know how to do it on your own properly if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 totally.
0: So then after you after you dropped uh, your job at that agency, how was like the first few weeks um, you know as freelance you know with no real job quote unquote? Yeah, it was, was it like? was
1: scary, man. Cause like the first thing is you have to give your laptop back. <laughs> and for like a <laughs> good, a, a good four years, like my laptop was my work laptop. Like they would always give me just like a top of the line MacBook Pro, right? And so I never right. really had to have a personal laptop because my work stuff was so good. Like I would just use it for everything. And that's a lot of people do that when they work in advertising. They just use that laptop for, for everything. And so I remember my yeah. first like big stress was, holy shit, I got to buy a MacBook Pro. <laughs> and I remember paying like half of a paycheck or whatever at the time of my one of my last paychecks, like half of it went to like buying just a brand new 13 inch at the time. And yeah. like that was just like, oh shit, like I have expenses, I have things I have to pay for. Like it hit me really quickly, really fast. I thought even though I thought I was prepared and I thought I had a cushion money wise and all that kind of stuff, it hits you really quickly that you're like, oh, crap, next two weeks, I'm not getting paid. Like you got to like that really hits you fast. And so my best advice for that is like I and I usually tell people, like, give yourself like six months minimum money to survive before you go freelance. Because another thing I learned very, very early on and also the hard way is how long it takes some companies to pay you like one of my biggest clients at the time and I won't I won't name them but they're a massive telecommunications company like basically like an AT&T here in Canada and right. they, they took like 6 months to pay me off like two jobs and they were two oh. of my biggest jobs when I first went freelance cuz someone I knew went became a head of marketing there and so I got two really wow. really awesome quick production jobs that I did for them but it took them like close to 6 months to pay me and so you know I was Dang. I had to end up like borrowing money here and there just to survive thank god I was still living at home like I don't know what I would have been doing if I was paying rent then Um, and I had like the, the luxury of my parents helping me out and whatnot too. But like, that was just like, Holy shit. Like I was so used to being paid consistently for like two weeks and even having savings and whatnot that it all goes really, really quickly. Like then you got to buy stuff for the jobs too. Like I thought I had enough gear. It turns out I didn't I had to buy all this other stuff too. And so as, as prepared as I thought I was, I was definitely under unprepared. And I think that's a good mentality going into is like, feel like you have to way, way over prepare for everything because you really don't want to get caught with your pants down when you don't have money right. or you don't have the right equipment for the job that's happening. Cause again, you don't have an agency to fall back on. You don't have really anyone to help you either. Um, you're kind of all yeah. on your own at that point. And so yeah, the, the first like week or two, or I would say the first six months of it all was just super stressful. Cause like, you know, yeah. I'm even, even now, like the thing with freelance is like, it's never like, you're just going to get to this point where are like, Oh, everything's good. Like, I don't think that really happens. Right. Like you'll get to a point where you're comfortable and you're happy, but you're in the back of your mind. You're always still thinking this could, this could stop at any moment. <laughs> like, right. it, it, it sounds silly and it's stupid and a very light, like, you know, knock on wood, it probably won't, but you, you, you keep that in the back of your mind because it keeps you hungry to keep working. Right. Cause if I was totally. just like, you know, I, Oh, I just did two big jobs. I'll just coast for the rest of the summer. That could be the last summer that I get big jobs like that. It's probably not, but I have to think that way. So I keep fire under me to do more to keep working on things, to keep pushing myself, you know, to do stuff outside of client work, because I can't rely on client work to be my portfolio if it doesn't keep coming through. Right. So if I want to keep doing my work, I got to do more work on my own. You know, I got to build my personal brand. I got to do this YouTube stuff. I got to do all these things that is like just building me up because again, I don't have an agency or a team to fall back on. It's just me. So I need like multiple areas to have plan B's, (laughs) if that makes sense.
0: Totally. Totally. Yeah. What do you, what do you think, um, As far as like freelance versus working, you know, at a full-time job, production company, whatever, I mean, you touched on it a little bit, but like, what do you think are some of like the biggest differences that maybe some people don't know going into that transition between full-time and like freelance? Uh,
1: I think some people need structure, right? And that's why I I don't think freelance is for absolutely everyone because I'm not type A, like I'm very loose and I don't want to say disorganized, but like I'm organized chaos, Right. And right. so even when I worked in agency, like, you know, the higher I went up the corporate ladder, the less it mattered, like what time I came in and all that kind of stuff. So I had the luxury of like, you know, I could come in at 11 and stay till 10 or I could come in at nine and leave at two. So I had a little bit of a freelance vibe of, of how I worked in a, in a full time position. But I need that. Like I need that flexibility of like, you know, maybe I need two hours off this morning to do absolutely nothing. Or maybe I don't need to do anything today so I can work all night. I have to have that kind of mentality of just like Mm. whenever the inspiration sort of hits me, that's when it's going to happen. Right. And I think a big thing that when people go freelance is they have a hard time just organizing their time and how to get shit done because they're so used to structure. And I think you have to be okay with a lack of structure to do freelance well, or you have to be really good at creating a structure for yourself and sticking to it. Because it's very, you know, Isaac, Knups and I were talking about this the other day. It's like the idea of like setting time aside to do the chores of your home and then also setting time aside to do what you need to do for work. Like I'm not structured like that, but he's someone that is. So he needs to like go to a coffee shop or he needs to go out and do something. But I'm more someone who's just like, wherever I got to get it done, I got to get it done. Whenever it's due, just get it done. I used to even talk to my team like that too. I was like, I don't care when you're here as long as your work gets done, right? But a lot of people really like that structure of like at 9, I have to be at the office. And then at 5 p.m., I I take the train home. Whereas when you're freelance, it's way up in the air. You never know like what's going to be busy one week. You never know what's going to be dead the next week. You, sometimes you get called in to go in on a project the same day or the next day and you got to be able to like just wing your life around at the, at the drop of a hat. And so it's like chaos. And I think that's the biggest thing people need to realize is like the stability is more than just the paycheck every two weeks. The stability is routine when you work at a, right. at an agency or a production. And when you're on your own, it's not the, it's the chaos of when you're not knowing you're going to get paid, but also the chaos of schedule. Right.
0: Totally. Totally. What, what, what are some of the the biggest um, reasons why you would recommend uh, freelance aside from, you know, the flexibility and things like that? um, What are some of your favorite like aspects of freelance?
1: I think the the creative freedom to do what you, I mean, I guess it kind of goes down to the flexibility of schedule, but the creative freedom to work on stuff Mm. that you want to work on for yourself, it depends on your goals, right? Like my goals are not to be a commercial director for very much longer. Right. Like I really want to get into more narrative and like stuff that I'm making for myself. Right. And, right. and making it for myself in the sense that it was like it's more entertainment focused rather than commercial focused. And so sure. for me, I have the ability now to do a few jobs here you know every couple of months or whatnot that can pay the bills and give me money, but then it gives me time to work on things that I want to work on to grow the career that I really want, which is doing you know like making movies and doing music videos and all that kind of stuff right And so that yeah. to me is like the best benefit. I, it would be hard for me to do that in a full-time sense. Because I would, because mm-hmm. for me, I don't want to half ass something. Right. And I felt, I feel like, and this sort of happened towards the end of my, my associate creative director role where it was like, my mind was too on the things that were outside of the agency rather than what was on the inside the agency that I was starting to do crappier work. And the moment when I was doing, totally. I was doing shittier work because my mind wasn't there. I realized I had to get out because I didn't want to have bad work associated with me. Right. And so I was like, yeah. I can't, I have to focus on what I'm doing because I want it to be the best. And I don't think I could do that if I was working full time. If I went and took a a tech company job somewhere, let's say I was working at moment, right? I would want moment to be the absolute best. And then I know that the stuff that I'm doing for myself would fall that fall back, right? Because it's so right now, because I have this this luxury with freelance where I can do a few jobs here and there and do those very, very well and forget what I'm doing for myself, but then have like months to do what I want to work on. I can I can focus properly, right? I can go like project to project. And that's to me, for me, that's why I love freelance so much is because I can pick and choose the jobs, but also pick and choose the time to work on the things that matter to me to grow my career forward the way I want to grow it forward and not be at the mercy of like what an agency thinks I should be doing next, right? Or their career plan for me. Yeah.
0: I mean, I see like with, um, with my own work and stuff right now, I've been doing a lot of, uh, smartphone related stuff, tech related stuff, uh, software, things like that. And while it's been great and stuff. You know, there's a big part of me that wants to try some other things, like um, more doc-style things yeah. or things involving humans, because you know yeah, a lot totally. of tech uh, <laughs> it's just hands and phones. And so, um, what I think is cool about freelance is just like, you know, I can start pursuing that, and I've, I'm in talks with a few people to, you know, explore something like that. But in the meantime, I can keep on doing what I'm already doing, and I'm fine. Yeah, so exactly. Having that flexibility exactly. of like I can try something new. And if that doesn't work out, no big deal. Go back to what I'm already doing. But, um, you know, if I want to keep pursuing the other thing, I can keep going on that.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. It's like, it's just that freedom of like, maybe the main thing that you're doing for money isn't your favorite thing, but it, it's not the worst thing in the world either. You know what I mean? It's like, it's easy for us to complain about doing tech stuff. It's even easy for me to complain about doing reviews and whatnot on YouTube, but it's really, mm-hmm. of all the crappy jobs you could have, that's probably like not even on the list. <laughs> right, right. Right. So it's totally. kind of like, we, you, I feel like I have to catch my check, my privilege every once in a while where I'm like, how can I be upset that I have to go do a corporate video and make X amount of money? Cause it's going to take up a day of my life. Like I really shouldn't be upset yeah. about something like that. Even if creatively it's boring and lame, it's still allowing yeah. me to do everything else I want to do. And all I have to do is take a day out of my, my life to go shoot something real quick. Right. So even though it's not the, totally. my favorite video, I'd rather do that than flip burgers or something. Right. Or, or whatever. It's, yeah. it's, that's that luxury of like what, why I really like freelance is like. Even the the stuff that isn't essentially what you want to be doing is still good, and you're learning from it. That's the other thing. It's like even the jobs where I'm like, "Oh, this is gonna suck. This this idea is terrible, whatnot." I still learn something on that job, right? Like I'll still learn right. something about like, "Oh, and now I know not to do that. Now I know that cable sucks, or whatever. It's, whether it's gear or it's or it's people related or whatever. Like I always learn something on every single job, whether it's a cool creative idea or a crappy creative idea. So you know, even if we're doing videos and making content that isn't our favorite we're still learning and we're growing and we're getting better just by the the sheer fact that we're doing it. Right.
0: Totally. So uh, just kind of in closing for those who are like, listen to the podcast, um, like just getting started, wanting to explore freelance uh, or kind of play around with that idea. What are some uh, tips that you might have for them?
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean the big, the big thing really is like, know what exactly you want to do, like find the niche that you want to tap into. It almost sounds like YouTube advice where it's like, focus your channel in on something. And I think right. like when you're freelance, I think you got to focus in your talent. We're losing, I was talking to someone recently about this, that we're like losing the masters of crafts. Like we're, we're getting all mm. these jack of all trades people. And I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge problem for this too, where I just do a lot of things and I'm good right. at a few things, but I'm not like a master of absolutely anything. Right. And I think we're mm. losing masters of craft. Like we're losing Roger Deacons and stuff like that. We're losing these like amazing people that are good at one specific craft. And I think that yeah. if you're going to freelance, I think that's actually a big meal ticket for someone who's really good at something singular. That being said, the market wants us to be good at everything. <laughs> so when I right, take right. jobs now, when I take jobs, it's really like, they call it a shredder, right? Where you're like, you're shooting it, you're editing it, you're DP, you're director, you know, you're doing color correction, yeah. you're doing the sound, you're doing absolutely everything for a lot of these projects, right? It's, it's very oh, rare right. for me now. Like, In a year of work, I would say like two or three jobs where I'm either just a DP or just a director, almost 80 to 90% of what I do is a combination of directing, DP, editing, color correction, all that kind of stuff. Sometimes I'm just doing editing, like sometimes I'm just taking straight editing jobs, right? Um, yeah. so I would say like, I, if you, if you can try and focus in on one specific talent, but be aware that a lot of things are going to require you to dip your toes outside of your specific niche as well. So if you're someone like, I see a lot yeah. of people on Twitter even being like, Oh, I'm re- I like taking pictures, but like video is so hard for me. Right. I think you got to learn yeah. it. You got to know it. Right. I think like, if you really want to survive in this market now, like you don't have to be the best at it, but you got to have a good base knowledge of it and at least be able to pass by for it. Otherwise you're gonna be turning yeah. a lot of work down. And that's the unfortunate situation. I think that's why we're losing masters of craft. But I do think it's, there's a huge benefit for like a colorist and a sound mixer and a director yeah. and a DP. As much as that's probably dying over time, I, don't, I want it to die slowly, if that makes sense. And so I yeah. think if you're going freelance, know that you're probably going to have to be a jack of all trades. But it's, it's smart to be the best at at least one of those things. But you really need a passing knowledge and by passing knowledge, I mean, you need, you need to be able to work for clients doing, hey, I need you to do an event photo shoot on Thursday, and then I need you to DP this commercial the next Tuesday, <laughs> right? Like the, the yeah. diversity of what's out there right now, specifically in our field, is just so across the map that it's getting harder and harder to be like, I'm just a cinematographer, right? I think there's definitely a career path for that, but yeah. I think the faster way, if I can use myself as an example... Is I did a lot of everything and it allowed me Mm -hmm. opportunities to do a lot of things because of that. I think if I was just, if I went back in time and I was at the, at school and it was like, you should just be an art director. And I was just like a creative guy that did like print layouts and whatever, or I wrote scripts. I wouldn't have any of the opportunities that I, that I had throughout my advertising agency. I, I never would have went to the Cannes Film Festival. I never would have been shooting at Wimbledon. I would have been at home writing fucking Instagram post copy, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so that, that would be if I was just a writer, if I was just a photographer. It was because I did so many different things that gave me so many different opportunities to try things. And now I'm in a position where I can be like, maybe I just want to be a cinematographer, but my own, my own ADD wants me to do a bunch of different things. Right. But I think having yeah, yeah, a, a knowledge of multiple kind of facets of, of this industry is, is key. But I do think I'd still at the same time recommend like, you know, focus in on just video or focus in on just photography. Um, Cause we're losing masters. Like we're losing just like craft masters and that's kind of sad to me.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, absolutely, Anytime, um, it, was just, it was great talking with you. Yeah, um, where can people find
1: you online? Uh, you can find me absolutely everywhere at i'm patrick t. And so that's at I am i'm patrick so t. So jealous of that. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's my age showing that I was able to do that. Kind of wish I got Patrick way back in the day, but that's not going to happen. Yeah, I told you I signed up for uh the Stadia beta like Google only because I want noobmaster69 yeah. as the username cuz I I get early yeah. ac- I get <laughs> early access to the username. <laughs> and that's I just I awesome. want to be that for the Avengers uh, call out. <laughs> uh That's great. Yeah, man.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much, man. Thank you, dude. Well, that's our conversation. I really hope you enjoyed it. Huge thanks to Patrick for taking the time out of his day to come on the podcast. Definitely check out his work at the links in the show notes. If you'd like to hear more of him and me, actually, we recorded an episode for his podcast, Top Comment, right after this episode. So if you want to hear that, check out the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would mean a ton if you would write a little review over on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as that helps a ton. Or maybe share this episode with a friend who you think might enjoy it. Well, that's it for now. Talk to you soon. This episode was brought to you by Musicbed. Not directly, per se, but if you use the link in the show notes, I get a little bit of a commission. But instead of hearing me talk about MusicBed, I thought I'd have Patrick tell you a bit more about the awesome music service.
1: Thanks, Jackson. First off, I just want to say that I'm super honored that you respect my opinion here and that you're letting me share my link for bed with your followers and listeners. So first off, MusicBed is just one of my favorite ways to live. find music for my projects. It's easy to use. The team there is great. And everything just sounds amazing, which is what matters most. So if you're looking for professional sounding, quality music, MusicBed is the way to go. You can use my link, which is share.musicbed.com slash I'mPatrickT. I look well, forward to- Oh, you look to- at
0: that. We're out of time. Uh, definitely use the link in the show notes if you'd like to get 30 days free music for your YouTube channel, Instagram, or podcast. Adios.